There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bloom, episode 77. Uh, recap some of our lessons learned from 2023 and take a dive into the draft champions, overall champions draft to see what went right, what went wrong, maybe things to grab out of that for potential 2024 draft champions draft as those are already going strong over at the NFBC. But before we do that, some housekeeping. I am on Twitter at BDNTrick, the podcast at Bubba Bloom Pod, and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at RyanBHQ, Ryan Bluefield. How are we doing, my friend? We're doing good. It's been a refreshing week, like for me at least. It's it it feels good to not sweat anything. The like discourse on social media has been very positive. Everyone's celebrating their their wins and that sort of thing, which is like we said last. I said last week, but Sunday night, Monday morning when the podcast dropped. Now's the time to do it. So it feels good to feels good to celebrate, not sweat anything. And uh, I guess tonight we will humble ourselves a little bit we'll bring ourselves back down to earth after uh after victory lapping and celebrating sunday night yeah we'll talk some lessons learned but it won't be your typical lessons learned it won't be like hey what did you learn with the stolen bases or what is no, it's more like how can we become better fantasy players but yeah like things uh, we did wrong or things we wish we could have done yeah different we, ways to at least say we'll do next year but exactly. maybe i feel like i feel like some of these we talked about last year on the same show and we're, we're back at it again but uh we'll, we'll see how that goes and like i said we'll recap the 2023 dc overall champions draft which is an interesting takeaway an interesting takeaway to say the least but uh, it should be fun as we uh, get going we're going to start uh we were brainstorming behind the scenes on, on what we want to start doing coming up if we want to start recaps what we want to do so you got some fun stuff coming your guys' way if you stick with us through the offseason, which I think you will. So, um, and 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 it is official. Well, not official, I guess. Till it happens, but after first pitch Arizona, we hinted at it, we will start coming up with twice a week for you. So you'll get plenty of bubble in the bloom where you probably won't even want to tolerate us anymore. But hey, give you something to listen to, fantasy baseball wise. And if you have any questions, keep them coming all offseason. We'll help you out if it's something you have about twenty twenty three or for twenty twenty four. Bring it on. It's the best I can say. Lastly. FPAS is less than a month away. That's all I'm going to say. We've talked about it enough. If you're not signed up yet, I don't know what, what you're waiting for, but FPAS is less than a month away. Four weeks from tonight, I will have just enjoyed my free round of golf. 
courtesy <laughs> of you. And we'll be uh, we'll be somewhere. We'll probably be at Scottsdale Stadium or yep. back at the Reception. bar or whatever. But yeah, four weeks away, man. I I just absolutely cannot wait. I actually I I changed my flight, so I was flying in Thursday morning, like six a.m. out of Portland, and giving myself like two hours before the golf outing. But now we're coming in Wednesday night. So um, stoked to be able to kind of chill out Wednesday night, get a full night of sleep and then hit the links on Thursday. So cannot wait, man. It's going to be great. going to be awesome. I haven't even looked at the weather yet. Praying there's no rain. So I'm going to say that was uh, uh, hopefully a once time situation, but uh, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, let's get into it. Let's talk lessons learned here. Um, or do you have any, well, sounds fun. Do you have any playoff takeaways as we saw four sweeps, anything? Yeah, that's a good. We haven't, yeah, talked any playoffs. Disappointed in. No, we did. Yeah, we, we actually we went through our brackets and picked everything. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Like our our Brewers kind of didn't do anything. Ooh. I know the Woodruff injury Ooh. is was bad, but they got smoked. Yeah, D-back they got smoked big right time. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brewers failed big time. Rays failed big time. Philadelphia. Yeah, I would. I would say, like, I don't know. My personal take on the playoffs is we overreact so much to this stuff. It's such a, to me, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you disagree. These playoff series are such a coin flip. I, oh, I yeah. hear things like the Brewers, you know, the Brewers need to shake things up. They, they, lo- they, they lost two games, man. They've, they've, they have, the Brewers have won three of the last six NL Central titles. Like, I, I don't know. I there's a lot of overreaction. And that's the that's the nature of the playoffs. But like I just think of this thing as like how many times did the Rays for as great as they were this year, how many times did they lose back to back games during the regular season? Like they they could have lost two in a row in June and nobody I mean, yes, it's a different environment, I get it, but uh but I don't know. It's 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 a coin flip. Enjoy it for what it is, the postseason. But I, I don't really like if if your team gets consistently gets there. I think you just kind of, I don't want to sound like Jerry DePoto at this point with the 54% quote, which which was a little cringe. But if you can consistently get to the playoffs and get into that coin flip tournament, I think that's about about all you can do. After that point, it's 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 up in the air. I don't know. You may you may disagree, but that's kind of how no, I feel about the postseason. No, like some people are saying they need to have four-game series. I'm like, you just can't. You can't leave these other teams on bye weeks that long. You can't do yeah. all other traveling. Like it's just this is the best. Case scenario, if you want to get more teams into the dance, which is what they want, this is what you can do. This is pretty much mm-hmm. your only option, and um, that's just the brass tax behind it all. I think it's fun. It's just a rare thing. We saw all these sweeps, which you usually see a couple, but not this many, so it's a bummer. But, like, you know, the Twins, they finally got through. And in the past, the Twins teams, I don't think were that bad. They kept losing. They just lost, like you said. It's just kind of a thing. They got it done this time. The Jose Barrios thing, we can leave for a whole other show, but that weird but um, the, the, the Twins got it done. It was cool to see the D-backs do as much as I love the Brewers, and I thought they had a great chance at that pitching staff. Um, D-backs are fun, and they're lined up to get Gallon and, and uh, Kelly in the first two games against the Dodgers. So we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, that should be fun. You got the Astros coming in. You got the Orioles, the best team in the American League, getting to host some yep. games. And that Philadelphia Phillies environment, like I almost tweeted it out, but yeah, I, yep. I mentioned, I mentioned, I mentioned to you the other day that like I need to go to a night game, night game in Blacksburg. Um, Philadelphia playoff games coming right up towards the top of that list as well. That is an electric factory in there. That's that, funny, Jamie you Moyer, that 
it's, oh my it's God. a college you see Jamie football. Moyer it's, the first, like a college it's a call thing. Oh yeah, yeah. You see Jamie Moyer throwing out the first pitch in those uh, like <laughs> in overalls or whatever he is. It's like those milk bibs, <laughs> yeah. like the Big Ten teams wear. Um, it was nuts. I saw some tweet that some fan in a section was partying so much he bought the entire section beer. The tab was forty five hundred dollars. Um, it's just uh, it's insane. I would love every minute of it. Which is also like I I don't mind the expanded playoffs. Um, like I think I think if you're a wild card team or even a, a division winner like the Twins, like if you want the buy, play better. Um, yeah. These wild card games, like I said, they're they're toss ups, but the it just gives more teams the ability to do it, and you get atmospheres like what we saw in Minnesota. And what we saw in, in Philly, and those were those were absolutely electric. So, looking forward to that. Look, the the Philly Atlanta series is going to be electric, fireworks, fireworks. absolutely electric. So. Because Atlanta, I'm not going to get into things they do at the stadium because that's polarizing. But that place gets raucous during the playoffs, oh, so yeah. that place will yep. be loud. Plus the rivalry, um, yep. and then when they go back to Philly for games three and four, oh boy, especially if Philly's got a lead in that thing. That's going to get wild for sure. Uh, Baltimore, I'm looking forward to because those people can get spunky when they need to. And it's their first time they've really had a team like this in a long time. So I'm kind of curious to see what they put what they put forth in that situation. Uh, you got the Astros as well, which we know that how that goes. But the one I'm really curious about because it could either be just a complete dud, or you never know. It could get interesting. Is that D-backs Dodgers series? It just doesn't – out of like all the four series we're going to see, it seems kind of like the dud of the group. But the D-backs, man, they got these young players and they got a couple decent pitchers. Like, if they can go and steal like game one, that could be fun. That could be a lot of fun because yeah. they'd have Gallon going in game two. So I love playoff baseball, but I'm also a baseball diehard. So, yeah. It, for me, it's I, nice. And, you, and and it's nice to just be able to – like, I have no rooting interest. So, yeah, it's pretty sweet to be able to just watch baseball and not like – be on edge so yeah i'm, I'm rooting it. for seven teams i'm rooting for seven yeah. teams it's very very simple i i, I could care less about one i, I can but, i can tell which one you're not rooting for but. yeah yeah but uh just for fun who do you think wins it all um i'll still go i'll still go the braves still go the braves um yeah i think it's the winner of the braves philly series i hope it's one of the, i hope it's one of those two teams whoever wins against the orioles that's what i want to see the most bittersweet thing would be the Phillies winning behind like Aaron Ola shoving. And he shoved uh, from a fantasy standpoint, he did. He did. Yeah. And it was like, oh man. Him and Evaldi on the same day. Him and Evaldi was up. He was up two day. miles an hour. I I, I thought, uh, bet on the Diamondbacks. I thought, I, or I, I bet against Texas. I thought, uh, I thought Evaldi was toast, but he was up yeah. two miles an hour and looked looked pretty damn good. So. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll talk more about it next week because we'll be at least halfway through the NLDS, if not maybe through some of them, depending on uh, they start on Saturday. So we might get towards the end of some of them if there's sweeps going involved. So we can kind of talk about where things are at at that point in time. But it's a fun time of the year. Enjoy it while you can because pretty soon we won't have any. Uh, so no. there is that. But let's talk lessons learned. This is always a fun kind of looking back moment of, what could we do better? What did what we what did we just do wrong? Period. What are ways we can uh, be better fantasy players in general? So I guess I'm on top of the list. I get to go first tonight. Um, we each have four lessons learned. So let's just have fun with it. Mine, it's just kind of a carryover from last season, which I thought I did more of this year, but I still need to be better at it. 
and that is to continue to be more aggressive in the fab, like be willing to drop guys, be willing to go get your guys, but also do it in a way that has money left over for the final weeks, not just like a couple bucks. Like I had two to four bucks in a lot of leagues, but you want that hammer that last week that can make a difference and not playing Jordan Wicks against the Brewers and maybe going and getting like Olsen of Detroit or something. Uh, something along those lines could make a big difference in those final weeks that can take you over the top. And so I want to keep being like, especially in 12s, that's a big difference. 12 compared to 15s, you got to be able to drop guys. You got to be able to do what you got to do to keep, you know, the best lineup in play as much as that makes too much sense, but you understand what I'm saying, but I still need to be able to do it without overspending all the time and having funds left over at the end. So that's one of my lessons learned that I, I need to continue to get better at. And there's ways to get better at it that I talked about earlier today that I'll help, uh, hopefully help me down, down the road, but I need to actually do it, which takes time, which, you know, I have so much of. Well, it's tough. Cause like, so I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's a goal. You, you want to be more aggressive and fab and you want to have money left to spend, but it kind of goes against yeah, each other. Support. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, 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 you got to kind of know when to pick your spots and where Maybe to do being it. Maybe be more judicious with my funds in fab, like still being aggressive with my drops, but like not overspending okay. so yeah. much to so being better at like analyzing my league is a better way to say it. Maybe that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. Something along those lines that, that cause like when there's so many times when you're going like 12 to two, those $10 each week just add up in the end. Like that's a, a lot of cash when all things are said and done. If you could just even make it six to two or something, that's just a, a huge difference. Like I think that's more what I'm referring to is still be aggressive in like trying to fill your needs, getting rid of dead weight on your rosters, but doing it in a way that leaves you with funds in the end of the season. That's yeah. Um, yeah. The, and that, no, that makes, that makes sense. The, and when I say pick your spots, it's like, when do you attack the Tanner Bybee versus when do you like, or, or are you overbidding $40 on a streamer versus when you should be spending 10 or 15? Um, I think the latter, like for me at least is when I say like, try and try and conserve that money to be available at the end. That's, that's what I need to get a little bit, a little bit better at is those like not the high end guys, but more the, like the streamers. It's 10 bucks, 20 bucks, too many times. 10, 15 weeks. Yeah, there's, uh, I won't, I will do my best not to say this too many times, but when I talked to Drew Forte on today's bench with Bubba, he opened my eyes. Uh, name dropping already. You're going yeah. big time. He, I like he, it. He opened my eyes to what you just said because it's something I didn't do enough of about when to spend and when not to spend. And those streamers are things that I get caught up spending too much in. And he's like, dude, if you have five streamers, make your waterfall. Be it, be okay with the third guy on the list. They are streamers for a reason. Like, don't overspend just to overspend, knowing you're going to drop them in a couple of weeks. So then, why did you spend so much? Like, it's that philosophy that I have not fully in in like taken in. And that it's like when he started like leveling out all these things, I'm like, oh, that makes way too much sense now. Like, way too much sense looking back. Now, will I be diligent enough to do it next year? <laughs> Who knows? But it made a lot of sense when he said that. So that that would help me save money for the end. That makes sense. Um, my my number one lesson learned, and this is maybe because it's fresh in my mind. I've mentioned this a couple of times down the stretch. It's just like using my time better, controlling what I can control. I spent I typically spend way too much time checking live standings, looking at MLB game day, and like not sweating over things, but just like monitoring things that are 
outside of my control as opposed to I can spend it because we all have finite time. I mean, both of us were full-time jobs. We do content. We have families to, to do and that sort of thing. Like instead of taking the time to watch where I'm at in the standings, which is somewhat important, but not to the degree that I've been doing it, spend that time something more constructive um, in terms of like fab, basically. I always like during the season, I always think, during the week, I'm like, oh, Fab's not till Sunday. I can kind of put that off until Friday, Saturday, that sort of thing. And then Friday, Saturday comes, we're doing things on the weekend, and it, it just doesn't hit. So, like, I need to think of a way just process-wise to be able to put take away the time that I'm doing following my team, um, which, again, does have some value because you do want to keep tabs on, like, and this will fall into some of my later lessons learned. You want to keep tabs on, obviously, how you're doing in the standings and how your individual players are doing and, and that sort of thing. But from a time management aspect, just focus more on the things from a fantasy standpoint that you can control versus the things that you can't. I do like that one. That is a big one, especially the maybe work on fab throughout the week thing. That's not a bad idea. Uh, it's it's tough because like I always think to myself, I can do it. It's Wednesday night or whatever. I'm you know I've written my articles and whatever. It's a, but in the back of my head, I'm like so much is going to change by Sunday night. Yeah. But what can I what can still what can I do Wednesday night to at least make that fab process a little bit easier over the weekend? Um, I haven't figured it out yet, but it's just something I I, I need to work. I know some guys will put in, like, if they know there's a player they like, they put, like, a dollar bid in just to remind them, like, hey, use these guys later on type thing. Um, yeah. I think one thing along those lines that would be something – I know it's not my lesson learned, it's yours, but um, focusing – like, using the middle of the week to focus more on maybe the schedule for the next week. That would, like, highlight certain things to make Fabber easier instead of, Sunday, instead of Saturday night or Sunday, like, start digging in on – like, you write that article, which helps you look at that a ton – but um, just kind of having an idea earlier, like, hey, these guys are going to really stand out or this team we really want to focus on. So then, you, like, I, I know there's sometimes in certain leagues, maybe not just NFC, but other leagues, they're like, hey, we want to target, like, the Giants and Coors. And you're like, oh, well, you know, you go through some of the fab and, okay, these are the guys. And then you realize somebody else got picked up because he didn't go, like, page two of the players. Like, little things like that where you could have got a guy for a buck. Um, just, I, that's just my, my thought process because I'm with you on the overall planning better type situation for sure. Yep. All right. My second lesson learned, and this I said, we wouldn't talk about, you know, the stolen base environment, but the way I want to say this, I want to attack steals early again. Cause it's something I do, but I need to do it with not forgetting power. I know last year I said, I wanted power a lot. And I did better at that. I did a lot better. I beat a lot of Pete Alonzo's not enough Matt Olson's, but like I made a point to do that. But I think one thing is with the change in the stolen base environment, doesn't mean we can be completely neglectful of stolen bases at this because you still need the elite guys. But I think I want to still get my guys early that can give me 20, 30 steals because then it can allow me so much more flexibility to go get a Jorge Soler or go get someone later in a draft that I can take the empty stolen bases with power from an outfielder like a Marcelo Zuna who came out of nowhere. Things along those lines, Jesus Sanchez's other world where we know we're not going to get a ton of steals but could get a ton of power. I need to be cognizant of that, but I, I not go crazy because I had so many steals this year. I was winning steals by so many. You can only win them by one, folks. You don't need to win them by a hundred. So it's just like there's a point where it's dead stolen bases, and in a no trade league like the NFPC, that becomes a tough roster spot. And that got to a point where it was just like 
wow, they're still my best player, so I'm playing them. But there's a point where should I just drop them and just stream power? Like it got to that point where it was tricky. So I got to be more mindful of still attack it, but don't forget power throughout the draft type thing. I remember in our uh, our draft champion, our draft and hold that we did this time last year, the early DC. <clears throat> Um, my terrible team that, well, it wasn't terrible. It finished fourth, but my, my team that had Acuna and only had like 20 hitting points. Um, you just remind me that I had Acuna, Miles Straw, and Esteri Ruiz. <laughs> like, all, the, all the steals. All of them. All the steals, but like, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, yeah. I, I was benching, obviously I'm benching Miles Straw, but I benched Esteri Ruiz for a lot of the year because it didn't. From And again, in non-trading, like a trading league, it would have been great give them up but um in the draft champion like i wasn't even starting and it was it was just way too much and so that's also like i don't know going off a little bit but like that's why i tend to never draft these those all in one basket stolen base guys because even if they do hit there's a decent chance if they steal 70 there's a decent chance 30 35 of those mean nothing in your standards because you're so far ahead Kind of like what you were saying, Bubba. Um, yeah. Where in standings, it just doesn't matter. Like I'm curious. The early DC, we we started the first seven rounds. I took um, uh, Acuna, Lindor, and I think Ozuna or uh, Rosarena with my first three outfielders. On paper, yeah. about a hundred steals, give or take. So then I should be able to be like I took a Josh Young late. I don't expect a lot of steals from Josh Young, but there's a power source that uh, it allowed me to do something like that without having to go get steals. Um, I think that's my mindset. We'll see where it goes, but it's that kind of philosophy in my my mind. But we'll see. Makes sense. What's your next one? What do I got? Uh, Oh, man, this one. Um, (laughs) So I need to be more proactive and not just rest on my laurels when I think things, so many things can change throughout the season. I'll draw an example of this on my, my, uh, I go back to labor a lot, but my labor team, I had um, Emmanuel Classe and Carlos Estevez. And for most of the season, I'm thinking to myself, and it was true. It's like, I'm good. I don't need, I don't need to even look at fab. I don't even need to look at closers for fab or saves or whatever, uh, because I'm good there. I don't need any more. And I think that's a mistake. And that's just one example for like saves, but the same could be with, you know, depth for starting pitching. Um, Just because what you currently have for that week in your starting lineup looks good. Doesn't mean you need to always be searching for that next plan B Uh, because you never know when (laughs) Carlos Estevez is going to blow up in August or September. And all of a sudden you don't have closures, you have one and you need to suddenly backfill that. Um, happened the same thing with me in, in, in tout words. I had Devin Williams and Craig Kimbrell who I did pick up on fab, but look, look, look great as the Phillies closer for some time. And I was like, ah, I've got two closers. I'm good. Um, I think one of the things I need to think about is just even, even if my starting lineup looks good in a particular category or a particular position doesn't mean I need to keep looking at my bench and keep trying to improve my bench, even though if I might not use them that week, um to keep kind of improving those aspects because one of the things i typically do is go through my every time look at my drops who are my drops i look through my starting lineup and i think oh i'm good there i'm good there i don't need to backfill that but to be proactive and kind of take a speculative third closer when i already have two or three throughout the season that's going to help me because at some point you're no longer going to be good in that category or that position 
And so um, that's one of the traps that I that I always fall into. And so I need to uh, need to be better at that. It 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 bit me a couple times in a couple spots this year. And so uh, need to need need to look at that constantly. Yeah, I think we're all guilty of that at some point in time, especially like the part you mentioned about uh, on the fab on the waiver wire. It's like um, look to improve your team, even if you don't think you need them right now. That's something exactly. I, like, I, know, I know the, yep. the guilds guilds has mentioned that so many times. And it was a lesson that he taught Curlin this year in his main event deal. Cause Curlin was trying to wrap around his fab and him or which one of the rookies got called up and Curlin was like, I just don't need him right now. Yeah. Oh, it was when um, guilds was uh, adding Taj Bradley everywhere. And at the time it looked like a great move and just didn't work out. But uh, guilds also had a loaded pitching staff. So Curlin was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you wasting money on this? And, that at that time we didn't know how many prospects were getting called up. Like we, it, this could have been one of like the three guys for all we knew in the season. And um, Guild's made a very the point you're talking about is I'm improving my team now for the rest of the season because I don't know like why not improve them? Why let someone else improve their team while I can? Type situation. There's a lot to that. There's also like when you're spending that kind of fad dollars, it's a different story. Um, you're probably talking like, hey, go spend a few dollars to improve spots. Yeah, like yeah I'm not saying like go all out yeah. on something. Like if, if there's, you know, you need to go triple digits on somebody who's a position of need. Yeah, but like yeah. it's just, I don't know. It's that to, exactly what you were just talking about. It's if you think you're good, though. the key is like right now, that's the key word is this week you may be fine, but two weeks from now you might not be. So just to keep yeah. keep looking. Six months is a long time for things to go off the rails. And so yep. you need to find many ways to, uh, it's like the old, uh, you guys might hate me for dad jokes and comments like this, but it's like the old like cartoon back in the day where you just see like, you know, the guys on the train and it's running out of coal and they have to keep reloading the coal. Otherwise the train stops. Just think of it that yeah. way. It's a weird analogy of the situation, but just, just roll it's with going, it. It's going back, man. That's yeah, uh, I mean, you, yeah, not many of you that are probably listening even know what I'm talking about, but those are like, I actually cool. have a, uh, so I actually have a, I mean, I live in a hundred year old house and I'm in the, the basement and so you have a, you have a, yeah. to my left, I have a, a coal furnace. It's, there you go. it's yeah. no longer in use, but it's, Thank it God. has its own Thank chimney God. and there's a, yeah, yeah. exactly. For my kid's sake. Yeah, but yeah, there's like a little place where you can shovel in the coal and I don't know. I haven't, I haven't opened that door yet. I probably, yeah. I'm sure there's yeah, like don't. a dead rat. Don't, don't, don't open there, that but... for your own good. Uh, go get an N95 before you do that. Um, but yeah, like I got friends that have those wood burning stoves in the middle of their living rooms at some houses. So it's just like, whoa, what are we doing here? But that's the idea. Like you got to keep filling it up to keep it working type thing and keep keep loading up your team. I know people probably turned it off the show by now, but that's just uh, something that, that clicked in my head. Um, my third lesson learned is continuing to improve on starting pitcher player pool depth. Like we spent a lot of time analyzing the different pools. Like I've said it many times, some of my favorite episodes last year in draft prep was when we went through like picks one to 150, 150 to 200. It helps you learn the player pool and learn the depth of the player pool. But what I want to learn more is as we saw, we, we've always noticed it and I'll, I'll use Spore and Scott White's term, the glob that we've talked about is like, there's like the elite pitchers and there's so many that feel like they're similar and you wouldn't be shocked if a few took the next step. But at worst, you think there's pretty decent floors in certain places. I want a better knowledge of that pool to add depth during my draft, if that makes sense. Instead of, you know, taking one or two really good pitchers and then just kind of throwing, not darts, because I'm not saying we don't do the research and, and the, the the work on it, but having a better idea that in picks like 20 through 30 in a draft, 
I can keep adding depth to my pitching staff of guys that might actually turn out to be really good because there is a lot of talent back there. But you get to that point in the draft, and that's where like we start taking chances on certain players or certain bats or whatever. I'd rather take a chance on at least starting pitching with bats. I'm still cool taking chances back there because whatever happens, happens. But pitching with innings going down so much, I think just quality innings, quality depth is so much even crazier important than it was in the past. So that's something I've noticed, especially like looking at people's drafts that have won and looking at some leagues I did well in and some leagues I didn't do well in. Those later pitchers that you still are using towards the end of the season, common sense obviously helped, but the fact that you could get them helped. And there's a lot of them there. There's more pitchers there than hitters there that you can confidently like go, yeah, I could see them being an, like, a part of the team. So I want to do better, even deeper diving kind of on the back-end pitching and seeing where I can go with that. And you can't predict injuries by any means, but kind of set yourself up. Aaron Savalis, um, Dane Dunning was probably a free agent, but we talked about him last week. But just like dudes that are born, Justin that can Steele. be very – Justin Steele, like um, Nadia Evaldi was late. There's a bunch of dudes that I think could be uh, interesting options. Like, But Savali was one of your boys, and you got me on him, you got Drew on him. Um, like you, that was one of your bloom boards, dudes. And I think knowing those kind of guys is even more important to me next year to kind of make that kind of – base so then then you don't have to worry about spending hundreds of dollars on prospect pitchers stuff like that i think one of the more common terms and it's it's been thrown around a little bit this year last couple of years i think it'll rise to more prominence this draft season is uh streaming starters from your bench i think uh and i think that's a that's a fine strategy is taking 11 12 starters in your draft i actually i did this a little bit in labor and tout this season where like i filled out you know your first 23 rounds you think conventional wisdom you need to fill out your starting team you don't like you can just go all pitcher from like rounds 22 to 26 and build up that that starting pitcher depth which i think makes a ton of sense because uh I mean, we sound like a broken record, but like every week this season, we were trying to pick starting pitcher streamers. There were only like a handful of weeks out of 26 where we actually felt good about our picks. And like the more we can, the more we can do to avoid that, I think the better in terms of like your full um, healthier team overall. So that that makes a ton of sense is just building that starting pitcher depth because you're going to need it. You're absolutely going to need it. And the replacement level for starters is just so freaking bad. Um that uh, you're, you're better off having a few extra starters and streaming your hitters off the wire than your pitchers. And you can get hitters for like two bucks, like, and make it work compared to, because the other thing yeah, is, if, I mean, a good, if, a good, if a good pitcher actually comes up, you're going to have to pay for them. That's the other problem. Yep. So it's just a, it goes back to my first lesson learned. Like, how can I be smarter with my fab dollars to have money at the end? Well, maybe having better pitchers on my staff to begin with is a great way to go about it, type scenario. It would be interesting, yeah, to run an analysis of Fab this season, looking at like the under forty dollar hitters versus the under forty dollar starting pitchers, from like a streaming standpoint, and see how they did. Um, should probably write a note, yeah. but I don't have a no. thing. Um, I'll write a note for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, it just it just seemed like every week there were you could get like you were just saying you could get a cheap a couple of cheap hitter streamers and it would work with the schedule but pitchers like it was just death and that was hey, the rob same McC- as rob last season if you're listening if you're listening rob mccabe you are the yeah, fab, that's uh, a... chart man this is all you buddy we'll, but, we'll um, we will corner him at uh at yeah, first F-Bass. pitch maybe and and make him i, I just even uh, give you something yeah. 
Yeah, I just think dominating the pitching market more. On again, can't predict injuries. If you get injuries, it is what it is. But if you can dominate, and, and then if you the depth, the injuries don't hurt as much. That's another thing. Um, yep. If you can, if I if if that's an option on draft day or even the first few weeks of the season, like adding guys early that didn't get drafted, that kind of thing before chaos unfolds, I think it'll allow things to go a lot better during the regular season. Is the best way I can say it. So that's one for me. And it kind of builds on my lesson learned. It almost more like observation was just the teams that I it was early starting pitchers, the teams where I picked. So I mean, I'll I'll be totally transparent here. The the top three starting pitchers that I was highest on over versus the market were Brandon Woodruff, Aaron Nola, and Kevin Gossman. One out of those three really hit. And it's just fascinating to see of those teams where I drafted Gossman and not Nola and or Woodruff, how well those teams did uh, compared to the Nola. Um, well, the Woodruff and to a lesser extent, Nola. I keep kind of bagging Nola, but he wasn't too bad. Whereas like Woodruff, yeah, wasn't hurt for so long. And this hurt again. So yeah. um, I don't know what the actual lesson learned is there because like I go back to my, uh, go back to my labor draft when I took Nola the next few starters were like Cease, Scherzer, like it, like Al- Sandy. Like it wasn't. I don't, I don't know. It yeah. may have just been a bad year for these starters. Like, so I don't. I, I wonder if the lesson learned. Like, if, is the lesson learned to just not go early starter? Then you really need to back that up with volume in the middle rounds. We're kind of just talking about with starting pitchers, um, or is there something in my player evaluation process that's that's wrong? I would say with Woodruff, I would say no, it wasn't. He just got hurt, and that was that was rough. Am I missing something with Aranola? Maybe. Um, am I missing, miss, did I miss anything with Gossman? No. Um, so is it just kind of like a luck of the draw, like I didn't pick the right starting pitcher? Or is it do I need to avoid that cohort and instead kind of load up on bats early and then go maybe the rounds five through nine or whatever and just load up on on depth to what you were just saying with your last lesson learned of starting pitching um it's something once once kind of adp shake out once the player pool shakes out for 2024 i'll look a little bit deeper at but that's something i'm weighing is like do i really need to go that early with a uh with an early starting pitcher but again if it hits like with gossman it 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 definitely works yeah, like i know one strategy that's already in my mind and no i'm not drafting a real league yet except the one dc we're doing but like in, my, in a fab league, maybe in a, an on-the-wire $50 one or something, I want to try doing like my first seven, eight rounds, just hitters, and then just going like seven or eight rounds straight starting pitchers slash relievers. And, call the old Ray uh, Flowers around here. Yeah, that's how, well, that's how we used to draft back in the day. Like before yep. things got crazy, you didn't take starting pitchers early. And I'm just yep. curious, like outside of the, the ace-aces, which – I'm just not as usually inclined. I will, but I'm not as inclined to get like those seven or eight bats. If they hit or six of the eight bats hit, like the talent level at the top is just tremendous. I guess it's an, it's an, in my mind. It seems interesting. Will it play out on paper is a whole other story, but it seems like it could be a very, with, with what's fresh that took place in 2023. It feels pretty interesting for 2024. That'd be fascinating. It's something I think about for, for labor next year. Cause that's one of the first like live fab leagues that drafts in February. 
Um, I think we're doing something like that too. I think, I don't know if I'd go that extreme. Like, I think if you're going to do that, I think you still need to get like a closer early. Yeah. You can, uh, you can squeeze one in like in round but, six or seven or something. I'm fine with that yeah. if you want. But I, I could, I could, I, it would be very, yeah, you're right. It'd be very interesting to see what five or six bats and then like nine it's starting pitchers. Like, <laughs> just, like, so, so not, so you're not getting like the fours and fives in a rotation, but you're getting a bunch of like twos and threes. So that yeah. like, if they're on, they take the step to ace. So you're not like that far off the ace pedestal. It's just a flaw. Like, I don't know. It seems interesting. And then the, I and, mean, the back you, half of your hitting probably sucks, but you're streaming that anyway. So exactly because you already if you picked seven or eight hitters, well, it's almost your starting lineup. And if they don't get hurt, they're probably starting all season for you if you play it right. And so yeah. like that's the philosophy behind it. And if you go heavy pitching in the middle, even if a couple don't pan out, you still hopefully have four or five that are pretty good. Yep. And that like carry. So I don't know. It's just like a, I don't know. it could be a total dumb idea. It really could. It all, I mean, it, it, yeah, no, it, it makes a ton of sense. A lot of it depends like what the ADP looks like and that sort of thing. But yeah. in theory that, um, I don't know. I've been kind of thinking about that too. Um, well, and like labor and labor and tout, or if you're in a Yahoo league or an ESPN and you can trade, I think it's even more viable personally. Yeah. You can go, oh, get some elite sure. hitter, go get some elite hitters and then, flip one of your top bats for like an ace or two later on in the season or something like you could do all kinds of fun stuff there like that's a whole yep. whole nother game so definitely yep. something to think about all right my final and fourth lesson learned is apparently i need to learn about prospects because we're not prospect guys here <laughs> but wow like you uh, might be bearing the you might be bearing the lead with this one this is a good one yeah as i said i need to apparently learn more about potential call-ups because this is a real thing um We've kind of talked about it before. I know I've talked about it with the Welsh on other shows and whatnot. He's a prospect guy, so I, I trust what he has to say. This is going to stay. I don't know to the extent of this, but we're going to see more and more young players called up for two reasons. You know, the rookie of the year thing gets you draft picks, yada, yada. Um, they want to, especially pitchers, they want to use these these the arms and the bigs as much as they can because pretty much everyone's having surgery now. They finally realize, like, hey, a 20-year-old Yuri Perez, let's use him in the bigs instead of double-A. Like, this makes sense. Things we've been screaming forever, like they're finally doing it. And also getting guys up. Go with the Tampa Rays, Tampa Bay Rays method or the Braves. And you get these guys up. If they're good, you try to, you know, throw them a six-year deal for like $80 million or something, $70 million. Try to make it a team-friendly deal. But, it, you know, it gets them, buys out their arbitration, and everyone's happy. And you can build a team longer type stuff. So it, there's two sides of it. There's the, the financial side, and there's just like, let's just use these guys while we can. Uh, so I think it's going to happen a lot more. And there were so many times last year you get the call up and I'd literally tweet out, hey, James Anderson, Welsh, Chris Clegg, Eric Cross, what do I need to know? Like, I have no clue. Yep. Well, what are we yep. doing here? Um, is it worth my fab dollars? Is it not? Some guys were, some guys aren't. That'll be the same next year, no matter how good you think a guy is. Guys that transition to the bigs is just different. But it'd be nice to know. Like, like especially for draft champions, that's the big part. Like, hey – do I need to go roster by roster and see what guys are adding single and double A right now? I can get around 48 that might come up next year. Like who's next year's Matt McLean? Who's next year's like so on and so forth. We go down the list. We talked about it last week. We'll talk about it more in the coming weeks. Like Tanner Bybee, all these dudes that came late. Who are these dudes that can be tremendous later in the year that I never even cared to know about because it never really mattered a ton outside of a couple of random examples, but you're going to see more and more. And the one thing that I will say, what seemed to happen more often than not this year, not everywhere, like I'd have to really sit down and look at it, it seemed like it was either teams out of contention or cheap teams that did most of this. 
the Reds, the Guardians, the Marlins, um, most of them, not all, but most oh, that, of your that, yeah. they're cheap teams. And that goes back to my financial part of this. And I think that might, might be an angle. Now the Dodgers are the exception, but they also had no pitchers. They had to. Like they did, I don't think they planned on bringing all these guys up in LA. Um, they had to. There was really no option at, at a point in time. The Giants, they were out of it and they they were getting injured everywhere. They had to bring guys up. Um, there's certain teams that it felt like they kind of did. Other teams, cheap teams that just let's go. So I don't know, but I do need to learn more about these players because I think we're going to see this early, often, and all, just all the time now. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because, um, and talking to the people who know, like 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 the Welsh, um, is one of, one of the things I was thinking about. Is this just a one-off thing? Because we've never seen this before, and even last year we were under the rules of the same CBA we are this year. <clears throat> excuse me, and we didn't quite see it. But um, so I do wonder if this is a one-off or if it's <clears throat> if it's here to stay. And if it is here to stay, like yeah, that's a totally new. To what you were just saying that's a totally new like angle of analysis that we need to do um and like the the prevailing thought for me at least has been get playing time get playing time rack up at bats and like to a certain as to a certain point that makes sense um and there's still a very tight correlation with total at bats and how you do in, in the hitting side um but we do need to open up and kind of look at prospects and who's coming and, and who's skilled because uh if it is here to stay that's going to be huge i do wonder too like if that's going to affect the back half of even redrafts next year and went into your show, which was fantastic, by the way, with Drew on bench with Bubba, he made the really great point. He brought up the Andrew Benintendi example. You do Dude, not want so an Andrew Benintendi. Recently. Yeah. When you do not that, want a like, Benintendi oh. at the end. You, you want what you want in your back half here, maybe not back, maybe back third of your draft. Yeah. You do not want Andrew Benintendi. You want that binary prospect high upside ceiling guy whatever where you don't feel bad cutting him. we're like benintendi he's gonna play every day um he's gonna get a homer or a steal that was the example that drew mentioned it's like not a tough cut but it's like you just tend to hang on to that type of guy where if you go with the prospect or a spec closer it's an easy cut and you're churning that roster spot anyway and so i do wonder in the back third of draft if we're going to see teams be more aggressive um, in terms of just taking shots on prospects. And if it doesn't work yeah. out, you just drop them and you, you, you're going to drop that spot anyway and, and see what you do with your ad. Yeah, it's like we, we keep joking that we're not going to start going crazy in the drafts, but I want to see some ADP already. Like I want to see where what the impact of 2023 is already going to start doing in 2024. I'm really curious to see how it plays out. I mean, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. We are starting our draft champions. We're continuing our our too early meatball, whatever we call it, uh, that Rob DiPietro um, is is commissioning for us. We're starting the eighth round tomorrow, the first pick. I do wonder, like, yeah, when we're going to see, honestly, some guys I've not heard of or, or don't know much about. It, it may be, like, in those first 20 rounds where some of these prospects are going. Like, I've obviously heard of Wyatt Langford. I know where he's, you know, what he's all about. But, like, where is Wyatt Langford? going to go um those types of things are gonna be fascinating to see in 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 this draft season yep 100 percent. all right uh last but not least god this is all this is a perennial and i don't know if there's a right answer with this um 
you're kind of boring set and forget guys. For me, it's very tough. I plug in like a, for this year, uh, for me, it was Yasmani Grandal, who's my second catcher. I draft him kind of late, middle rounds, whatever. Think, ah, he's playing every day. He's not playing well, but eventually he will pick up. Never did. Um, it's for me, it's learning these, these middle round hitters really, uh, the lesson learned for me is to be more aggressive with those drops. Gene Segura was another example this season where like you kind of drafted Gene Segura for volume. You see someone who's going to play every day, chip in some homers, some bags. It was very apparent by like May that he was doing absolutely nothing. Gene Segura was his monthly batting average, 217, 211, 173 through the first three months. Like, how long did you just look at your roster every week when you're looking at drops? You see Gene Segura, middle infield, and say, ah, he's fine. I'll keep him in there next week. Ah, there he is again. He's fine. Maybe a little bit slow start. I'll keep him in there. It's those types of guys that I need to be more aggressive on, those kind of mid-round. I'm not saying for your your best hitters, even your, like, top 10-round guys. Like, give it time for the numbers to catch up. But it's more like the round 15 hitter. That's just kind of solid, you think, and boring and a veteran who racks up at bats. Um, I need to be a little bit more aggressive in dropping those guys because there's oftentimes a real chance where they just don't do anything and they're in your they're on your lineup for like 20 weeks and it's 20 weeks of death. And and the 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 the, the 20 weeks of death award for me this year was Yasmani Grandal is my second catcher. He was in a lot of my lineups until like August, and it was just like, good God, I missed out on Yiner Diaz. I missed that. This kind of goes back to resting what I was saying earlier about resting on your laurels, not being proactive. This is kind of that. I looked at Yasmani Grandal. Oh, he's playing every day. I don't need a second catcher. It's like I did, <laughs> definitely did. Yeah, it. it uh... You know, Tim Anderson is the my example for oh, that yeah. one. Oh, yeah, that, that's probably the king of it this year, yeah. Yeah, that that's the guy that I thought you were going to go with when you started talking about players. Like, he's he, – and it wasn't just you. There was a lot of people. You said all over Twitter, when do I drop him? When do I do this? Like, what do I do? He was the, the tough one for many. Um, and if you go with the philosophy of all the hitters earlier than pitchers, you might have to you might not have to worry about it. So that's, that's something else to think about. <laughs> you know, said it and forget it. It's, it's kind of nice, but yeah, we've all I mean, fallen into that. It's like the Ben and example you get, like you, you draft him and you're like, Oh, he's going to get me 2020. Okay. Nolan Jones got you 2020 in a hundred games. Um, like there, there's guys that you can pick up that can change things. And it's just a tricky, tricky situation that you got to be willing to just kind of, Pull the pin at times. It's never easy, never easy, which is going to – you have to be able to – and something I think I talked about like on last year's lessons learned or something. You have to be able to be okay living with mistakes. You have to be knowing that you're not going to get them all right. Like some of these are going to backfire tremendously. Um, like I wanted to drop Sean Murphy early in the season when he was platooning because he wasn't playing well. Well, Travis Arnold got hurt. Sean Murphy started playing great. It worked out. But then when Arnold came back and Murphy sucked, I dropped him for Bo Naylor, and it worked out freaking great. Uh, that could have backfired if Travis Terno got hurt again. Like that's just one of those. But you know, you gotta eventually just pull the pin and cross your fingers at times. And uh, it's tough. I, I get it. It's very tough. I'm with you there. Tricky is the right word because, like, we're pointing out examples of guys who just never turned it around midseason. But sometimes they do. <laughs> yep. Like Jose Blake Abreu Snell. this year. Blake, yeah, Blake Snell was dropped. Um, C.J. Abrams was dropped i mean that's not the 
set and forget it type guy, a little bit different example, but like there are times where it comes back to haunt you. And so that's what I mean. Like it's not a, it's never a cut and dry kind of thing. Like you said, it's tricky uh, when, when to pull that trigger and when not to, but uh, yep. I don't know. And there's just like, I don't know so many guys where I just leave in there way too long. And it's like, this guy's burned me for the last month and I don't even, don't even know he was struggling this bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. It's, it's a tough one. It's tough. Not sure it'll ever get easier, but it's definitely one either. It's got to start just treat it like fantasy football and say, Hey, he's got to go. We can't wait for you any longer. Or you got to at least bench him for a bit, but then now he's taking up a bench spot where you can stream someone. So it's tough. It's very, very tough. But all right, let's talk 2023 draft champions, overall champion, Michael Stryker, drafted on March 13th. These were his 50 picks, round by round. Um, And it's up on the YouTube if you're watching it. Ryan put it up there very nicely. And we're just going to kind of go over like what – like we we talk about different spots of the draft and winning the draft here, doing things here. How how did he put his team together? I guess. So what stands out to you, Bloomfield? That uh, when you look at this uh, setup here. Yeah, I mean this kind of dovetails. This I guess is the equivalent to a Bloomboard portion of the episode, but it kind of dovetails to those lessons learned of like not just learning our mistakes, but learning from people that know what they're doing. And so again, your interview with Drew is fantastic, and learning from that is is great. I don't. I don't know if we know Michael Stryker, but he, um, I, I, I don't personally or through Twitter or whatever, but the only striker I know goes by the, the only striker I know goes by the real name, Scott Jenstead. That's right. It, it may be him in disguise. Maybe, maybe there have been other disguised, uh, folks high up. So, um, so anyway, we figured we would draft these top 50 or look at the top 50 picks just because like on a draft and hold, you can't really do much uh, in season. So this is the team that he had um, and doesn't make for good podcasting just to say every single pick that he had. But the, the biggest takeaway, and again, for the YouTube crowd, we kind of bolded the, the, the good picks, the quote unquote good picks that we think uh, relative to draft slot that, that were here. For me, it's interesting that last year's draft champions winner just nailed like the last 10 rounds. There were just guys, I forget the exact examples, but a uh, bunch of guys rounds 40 through 50 that came out of nowhere and 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 won it. This is a little bit di- of a different build. The first seven picks with Michael's team here, uh, he was drafting six and Bubba Lee said March 13th, Kyle Tucker, Spencer Strider, Emmanuel Class A. So he had one of the best pitchers. He had the staves leader, had a... Debatable 30-30 guy. I don't know if the the Kyle Tucker scoring decision is final or not, but basically went 30-30, then Strider, then Class A. Uh, Corbin Carroll, Will Smith, Wander Franco, George Kirby. Like, I can't think of a much better top seven picks than that. And so that was one of the big takeaways is he just did not miss at all in these first seven picks. Yeah, he dominated the start of the draft for sure. Um, and then it got dicey a bit. It worked out. worked out really well. But, you know, he took the Jordan Walker hype train in round eight. Um, the next really strong stuff that we saw, and, again, this is like Drew Rasmussen was awesome and he got hurt. Nothing you can do about that. Like Jonathan India turned out well. I think getting Kota Singa in round 13 was big. Obviously, it's common, like, duh. Yeah. But that that was good. Um, you know, you highlighted Alex Lang and J.D. Martinez had a huge season. So those guys came out very strong. But like you said, we're not going to go pick by pick. 
Some of the things that stood out to me, though, Ryan, is um, like I, I told you off air, like the catcher's position, for instance. Um, it's one when you talk about like draft champion strategy, people are like, oh, I'll get two good ones early or um, make sure you get like three pretty good ones or, or like, they all have like, different philosophies. Leave with four or whatever. He takes Will Smith in round five. Then he waits till round 29 to get Luis Campusano, who was good when he played, but he was hurt throughout the season. Jorge Alfaro, who couldn't stay on a major league roster, and Austin Barnes in round 48. Those were his four catchers. So essentially, he had like one and a half catchers this year, is the way I would say it. And he still took it down. So I guess moral of the story is don't worry about catcher if you have one elite guy. I don't know. Maybe. You're hurting, you're hurting your brand. Kind of bagging catchers here a little bit. Hey, this isn't my it style, makes sense. But, but he won all the money and I didn't. So Just did saying. a similar thing with closers. So I mentioned class A at the top. Um went elite with class A, went elite with Will Smith. But the closer strategy here was to take, yeah, class A in the third, then Alex Lang, which obviously worked out. Uh, I think got did he get 30 saves? It was in the 20s. In the 20s. Um and then Trevor May, which is kind of like the, it, it depends when you started Trevor May, like when you had him in your lineup, but uh, had over 20 saves. And so uh, Stryker's team was able to finish quite well in saves with a third round, 14th round, and 22nd round, which is kind of the blueprint of what I would like to do in a lot of drafts is to take, given the way the closer market is, to take that. I don't want to say sure thing, but take that early closer and then a couple specs. Um, in this case, he happened to nail those those couple of specs. Yeah, the the, the Scott McGuff, all he was doing well went well. Like you said, when did you use him? Type stuff. Yeah, the the Magoo. infamous. Remember the Towers live stream when McGuff got taken? Yes. I had never heard of the damn guy. Jesus. Yep, it was it was a wild one. Um, I guess like some of the other things that because he nailed the early rounds like we talked about. But then he did take advantage of some like later picks with multi-position stuff we talk about in DCs a lot. Like Brandon Drury still had over 20 home runs. Um, yep. And that's got all kinds of flexibility. I believe Spencer Steer has multiple positions. Obviously, Spencer Steer was great. Kyle Farmer, a ton of flexibility, who we've talked about a lot, especially towards the end of the season. Kevin Biggio actually played well to finish the season. He had flexibility. So they might not have been like quote-unquote elite plays, but in a 15-team DC, even a 12-team 50s, like that is – the kind of guys you're looking for that have a little bit of extra oomph when you're uh, drafting. I think that had to help him a lot because for the most part, like you said he, meant, he nailed the early draft, his sixth round pick obviously missed plenty of time and we might not see him ever again. But um, a lot of his early picks, even if you go through like round 10, um, part of almost part of 15, most of the bats stayed healthy throughout the season. So that helped him a ton like health, we always talk about it's a six month season. You got there's got to be some luck factor involved. Well, he got lucky in the health department. So we all say it. his his elite players stayed very very healthy this season. Yeah, and to get an overall, you need a you need a mix of both. You need a good yeah. you know good good skill, good good evals and and health. Um, yeah, one interesting trend like on the back half of this draft, there weren't many like breakout guys. There were there was Cole Reagan's in the fortieth, which <laughs> which helps. Good pick. Which certainly good pick. helps. There's Jaron Duran, 42nd, which also helps a lot, and Nolan Jones, 45th. Those were the three big guys at the end of the draft that really kind of tucked us away for him. But outside of that, like the back half of this draft, there weren't other breakout guys, but there are guys, Bubba, like you said, that that multi-position kind of filled holes where you needed. I know there were weeks where Matt Veerling, who was a 34th round pick, 
there were weeks where Matt Veerling was was very useful, very useful. The Tigers had a had a few seven game weeks and that sort of thing where it was useful. Tyrone Taylor when he played um, was very useful. So and obviously Kyle Farmer uh, when he played. So there were some like kind of. I feel like this is a team where in season he probably probably managed it very well in terms of like using picking and, and choosing the right spots to deploy Veerling, to deploy farmer Tyrone Taylor, that sort of thing. Uh, because there's a lot of those types of guys, uh, which as a takeaway for me in draft champions is like to just, again, stay vigilant on those biweekly lineups. And I know we probably have too many draft champions teams by the end of uh draft season, but to be able to kind of grind those, those midweek lineups, that's probably what Michael did a lot here with some of these names. Yeah, looking at that roster, I'd love to know where he was in like August overall wise, because a lot of these names in like the second half of the draft, they really came on in like the last two months of the season. Yeah, before Reagan's so I, and yeah, mm-hmm. like even like the, the Taylors, the Bgos, the Veerlings, all those guys that were productive for the squad. A lot of them came through in the second, like the late half of the season or so. So I'm curious yeah. to see where he stood there. And then you know his starting pitching staff, honestly. You know, you got Spencer Strider, George Kirby, two just elite ratio guys are out the gate. Uh, Rasmussen, when healthy, was awesome. But then it went to Bradish, outstanding this season. Mitch Keller, very, very good. You know, you mentioned Cole Reagans for like the second half of the season. So when he needed like his overall starting pitching, like even before Cole Reagans, the first half of the season, if not most of the season, it was Strider and Kirby and Senga and Kyle Bradish just never left his rotation. Maybe even Mitch Keller. And so Keller. that yep. that's a ton just to like sit there. He literally he could have just started Strider, Kirby, Senga, May, Keller, Lang, Class A, and then just filled in like that's seven pitchers right there. Like he just had a couple spots every week to kind of navigate stuff, and that is tremendous. Like when it's all said and done, hitting the yeah hitting the Keller Bradish Senga trio in those middle rounds. Cause that's, yep. that's all I really look at Bubba is middle round stuff here. Of course. Uh, that helps of course. a lot. Um, the other, I mean, the interesting thing, the Strider Kirby pairing, that's an ideal, like from a team build standpoint, that's so freaking ideal. You're getting your wins and your K's from Strider. You're not getting many K's or as many K's from Kirby, but you're getting elite ratios. Um, and just from a, from building your rotation out, that is, uh, that's that's super important. That's something I'm looking at in in my in our current draft and hold where we're starting up tomorrow. Like my first two starters are Zach Eflin and, and Logan Webb. It's kind of the it's kind of this combo, but flipped. I need to very much prioritize strikeouts, and I think that's just from a team build standpoint. You need to you need to look at those categories, not just go off the rankings. And I think with Strider Kirby in this build, it's uh, that's like the ideal way to do it. Yeah, no, and then I guess it's just like I said, you're, there's seven pitchers, and you can just kind of fill in the other two. Once Cole Reagan showed up, there's eight pitchers. Like he has never had to move anything out of there. And yep. same with the, the the bats: Tucker, Carroll, Will Smith, Wander. Until that happened, Jeremy Pena in the 15. Like he wasn't great this year, but still doesn't kill you. Andrew Vaughn was okay. Um, there's a lot of guys that he pretty much just left in, like especially like the Jaron Duran, Nolan Jones guys. Once they got called up, they were set it and forget it's almost, especially Nolan Jones. So there was a lot of uh, this. Like he managed basically a couple hitters and a couple pitcher spots each week very well. Where it, 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 it's almost the opposite of my DC teams, where I could barely just fill the roster at times. He had um, very very strong like starting 
sevens of pitchers and hitters and just kind of filled in the rest from there. And that was uh, a pretty, pretty, maybe like hitters probably more than seven, obviously, but you know what I'm saying? It made it pretty, uh, a pretty nice luxury that he, like you said, managed the biweekly rosters very, very like Brandon Belt, when healthy, was actually a very good hitter, a very good hitter. And like to be able to slide him in and out for a half of a week, that's tremendous at certain times throughout the season. If you look at Belt season, he had a handful of guys like that that uh, really probably put him over the top. That's why I, I would like to see where he was in like August, how, how his like climb to first happened is what I'm curious of. Yeah. Um, a couple busts too. So like that that's another and that's another takeaway. Like you can have a great team and still have some picks that fall flat. Um Drew Rasmussen comes to mind. I mean, that's not the fault of the pick. It, he just got hurt. But like Tyler Malley didn't do anything. Garrett Mitchell, who obviously looked promising, didn't do anything. That was a nineteenth round, eighteenth round. Uh Oscar Gonzalez in the sixteenth round didn't do anything. Uh, Jonathan Scope in the 26, which we're getting we're getting deeper, but uh, but you want to get something out of that. So there were a few picks where you kind of got nothing. Um, but the takeaway again is to like you can have injuries, even even to some early picks, and still do extremely extremely well, even in even in an overall. Yeah, it's a, it's an impressive look. Um, heck of a heck of a job pulling that thing out. That's a Shows you there's many ways to draft a team, many ways to put it together and see how it works. And uh, it's a team I wouldn't have been cognizant enough to build, but his worked out beautifully for him. So when uh, um, so you're thinking you're thinking August for standings, see where he was at. Oh, you're looking it up. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious to like from August to like through the last couple of months, how things changed for him type scenario. And, uh, I'm let's see, just some snapshots. So mid. Mid-August, Stryker was – he had a few teams, but the Farm 2 was 37th overall in July. mid-July. We'll go All-Star break. He was – oops. 8th overall. So had so a rough – Down to 37th. Huh? Rough July. September. We'll go mid-September. Our boy was up to 3rd. So had a rough July, but but – but search August, after that. September. Let's look at like let's look at mid June. Yeah, it's just it's some of those back end guys that really caught fire towards the end. That's why I was curious to see how it pushed him. He's top plus, 10 Cole, mid plus, June. plus Cole Reagans. That helps a ton. This is impressive. He was let's see, twenty fourth mid May. So it's he like was basically low. he never left the top thirty, um, and for a few months good. did not leave the t- leave the top ten. So he's been strong all season. I guess it's like yeah. you said, getting the top strikeout guy, the top saves guy, one of the best ratio guys. Like you got pitching pretty much on lockdown at that point. And then he, yep. you know, I got Tucker going, I'm going to still say 30 30. Corbin Carroll with over 50 stolen bases. Um, and, you know, Franco did his thing before his incidents, of course. So, uh, yeah, the, he, he had a great uh, heck of a season. That's a heck of a lineup. And like the balance, the more you look at the hitters early, because we talked about the, the pitching balance, but the hitting balance is pretty impressive too. Because like that's why I love guys like Tucker and Carroll, because you can get power and speed like that. That really doesn't like negate you a ton. And you can and plus you want uh, 15 team DCs, outfield's even shallower, if that makes sense. So having two elite outfielders like that, I think that's, that's tremendous. So I like that a lot. Bravo. Right, any, what a any, team. Any, yeah, any final thoughts as we uh wrap up strikers? 2023 championship getting the itch to fail in my own yep my own dc i'm uh 
so like I said, we're, we're continuing our meatball draft eighth round. We're picking it back up. I've got the first pick. If you were if you were me, you're in the draft, but you're 15 picks later. Cody Senga, Lane Thomas, Cole Reagans, or Tariq Skubal? I've said it since the day of the draft ended. If you still need strikeouts, I go Cody Senga. Um, it's tough. Skubal's great. Reagans, good. I, I go Senga. I think I'm going Skubal. I trust the innings, I guess, more from Senga, but I could be totally yeah. wrong. Could no, be totally wrong. I mean, that's, that's the thing, especially in the D.C. You need those... Uh, you need those innings. Uh, Scooble did get 80. Scooble's awesome. Look at today. Awesome. He did get 80. So I don't want to say if you double that, but um, feel feel confident in like 130. But yeah, Senga, I, I Senga blows that out of the water. Him. So yeah, I, I don't I don't blame you for that. It's that's 130 really good innings if he pulls it off. That's yeah. really really good innings. So I'm not going to fault you for that at all. Yeah, so, yeah it's tough fun. for you. You're, like I said, you're 15 picks away, so you can't really. 15 picks, an eight-hour clock. I get to sit and wait until Saturday probably to take a pick, which is or <laughs> Sunday even, which is fine. I'm fine. I'm in no hurry, zero hurry to do this. So um, really curious to see how it plays out because, yeah, I got my 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 base package going out there, but we'll see how the, the whole team plays out. And uh, we will have some time to recap some picks for you guys, probably show to show, just kind of keep you posted on the three or four yeah, picks yeah. we make each, each go around and – how the flow is going and eventually we'll have some ADP out there, not just from ours because there's other drafts going on. So that'll be exciting as well. Absolutely. I think starting, yeah, starting up next week, we'll do some, we'll do more reviews, but uh, planning to kind of deep dive each position and just kind of look at, look at what happened, what went wrong, what went right, what that means for 2024. So I'm excited, man. Yep. It's a great time of the year. It's like we, we, we didn't just forget about 2023. We, we've looked at it, and we'll still reference it a ton. It's not going to happen. But as they say, you know, enjoy your wins, enjoy the time, but it's time to move on. <laughs> so it's 2024. You're doing the you're doing the the forecaster, which gets you looking at 2024. Um, we'll, we'll be pumping along here, and um, I'm, 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 I'm always excited for it. We don't stop. I, I don't think I've taken a break uh, in God knows how many years. <laughs> So I keep doing, I might take a breather from doing articles and whatnot, but I'm going to keep doing my shows. That's just what I do because I love doing it. So it keeps it fresh, keeps it fun. And uh, we'll, we'll have you guys covered throughout the off season. So I think that was final thoughts. Do you have any other final thoughts, right? <laughs> that was it. I, I have no final, final thoughts. No final, final. All right. With that being said, you can check out Ryan on Twitter at Ryan BHQ, the podcast at Bubba Bloom Pod. I am at BD Intric. This was Bubba and the Bloom episode 77. Catch you guys next time. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.